okay if I just ask you a quick question about these carrots? <laughs> yeah, sure. Go for it. So, first of all, can you describe what I'm holding in front of you? So you've got a normal carrot, I guess, on one side and half a carrot on the other. But it's a very chunky half. <laughs> <laughs> if you saw both of these carrots side by side in the supermarket, which one would you pick? Probably the chunky guy. The chunky one, really? Yeah. Well, it's more carrot for your, it's more bang for your buck, isn't it, really? Okay, you're not off put by the fact that it's kind of looks like it's been chopped in half. Yeah, I mean, I'd be a lot happier if the rest of it was there. But like, at the end of the day, there's probably more carrot in this than the other one. And do you ever get off put by vegetables that, or, you know, fruits that just look a bit different? I mean, it depends, really. Like, obviously, you, you have to check the vegetable for like, if it's rotten or anything anything like that I'm, I'm assuming if it's not rotten then no I just pick it up but if it's like squishy or smelly or something then no hello and welcome to food to go the new food podcast i'm bethan grills editor of new food and as always i'm joined by my lovely co-host hi i'm avi street Varen. hello i'm joshua minchin um pleasure to be described as lovely by you Beth. <laughs> Don't always don't get often. that. No, 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 no. Don't always get that. I'm not usually describing in such such lovely terms by yourself. So what, what a lovely treat on this Friday morning. You said lovely there like five times. Five yeah, because times. I was literally, yeah, because I was trying to think of another word. And then I don't know if it ever happens to you. You're trying to think of another word. And the only word in my head is lovely. That's it. Absolutely. Like, terrible. You terrible. Would, yeah, yeah. It's not like we're writers or anything, is it? No, no, no. It's not my job to think of words. We're silly, is it? So fair enough. <laughs> Okay, so today we're talking about wonky food, and that's not just carrot that's grown a little askew, but rather refers to any food product that is disregarded due to its aesthetics alone. Uh, and you would have heard there at the start, Josh and I talking to a gentleman about it. And we've got lots of public comments as well coming up for you. What did you? What did you guys? Think? Yeah, what did you guys think? Yeah, well, just to add some context for for the listeners. Um, Myself and Bethan went to our local high streets in the pouring rain, picked the best day for it. Obviously, <laughs> people willing to stop and give up five minutes of their day in the pouring rain. Oh, it was really interesting, Beth, wasn't it? It was really, really interesting to see what people thought. Not what I expected either, but I won't reveal too much. No, I totally didn't expect their responses. I just, I loved the fact that people sort of perturbed look at when I presented with them with two different carrots on the street. I said, trust me, I'm a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> there were some people that did run away rather quickly, weren't there? There were, yes. It's not, you don't need it, do you? Come out of the supermarket and someone just thrusts a carrot under your nose. Um <laughs> It's quite a shocking sight. So yeah, it was. But we did get some people to comment, including some uh, school, some school, some lads come back from school. They made me laugh, but we'll, we'll save that one for later on. <laughs> yeah. So the the reason we're talking about this is because it's a it's a huge problem. Um, we waste an extraordinary amount of food, which contributes massively to our greenhouse gases. But there are some amazing companies, some of which uh, we have interviewed for this podcast and also in the past, who are targeting food waste in a variety of ways. But today we're focusing on the food that sometimes doesn't even make it to the supermarkets or, and you know, we've all done it, is, you know, is to go without rather than buy that that aubergine that looks a bit, you know, different from the rest. I don't know whether you guys are guilty of this. Um, I have to admit, I, I certainly am. Sometimes I'll look at you know what veg is in front of me and I'll go for the I'll go for the one that looks the prettiest yeah I'll be honest here I think I am out of the three of us I think I am the most guilty of doing this <laughs> but I think I'll learn a lot from our guest today as well on why I can buy wonky veg and it's still just as good as a normal veg I'm sure I'm gonna I'm gonna learn some life lessons today <laughs> <laughs> That felt so empowering, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> so our first guest is Holly Starkey, and she's the company director from Wonky Veg Boxes. Hi, Holly. Thanks so much for joining us today for this episode of Food to Go. Hiya. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you for being here. So we'd love for you to tell us briefly about Wonky Veg Box. Like, what is it that you guys do? 
So we are a small family run company. We took the company over actually at the start of lockdown in 2020. So we're on our second year of owning the company now. It was started by a great guy who had a passion for combating food waste. And my partner was working on a farm, farming potatoes and cauliflower. They had a relatively big contract with a main frozen food supplier. And he saw the amount of food waste firsthand at the crops they would reject. So if something was too small or even too big, if it just didn't fit the aesthetic they were looking for, it would be rejected. So the farmer was then left with tons and tons of potatoes he couldn't use. So that went for stock feed, which is, it's there's too much stock feed there for actual consumption. So Stuart, my partner, another director of the company, decided... <laughs> I want to make a change, started looking about and we acquired Wonky. So it was something he really, really loved. And I came on board during lockdown. I left working as a teacher. It's just really taken off. And the response we've had to people wanting Wonky Veg is just fantastic. That's so great. I can't believe about that. Um, You know, too big. I love it when I find like a big, you know, sweet potato. I'm like, great, this is this is going to be a few meals worth. And that's just, I, I, I really like what you guys are doing. As far as I know, um, do correct me if I'm getting this, this stat wrong, but it's 40% of crops are discarded because they don't meet aesthetic requirements. Has that number dropped at all? Um, because I'm seeing more adverts for wonky services such as yourselves and, you know, a push at retailers even in terms of their shelves being dedicated to wonky vegetables. The number has dropped, yeah. So companies are now, now there's more publicity around the fact that actually we're creating food waste. Companies are opening their eyes slightly more, but there's still more that can be done. The I'm not going to lie, we still go to a supermarket if there's something we've not bought that week and everybody needs fruit and veg. And I sometimes wander around the supermarket and I'm looking at what they class as wonky and I'm looking at as what we class as wonky. And actually, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with what they're selling. Carrots is a big one. Carrots, there is so much waste with carrots. They're, it's ridiculous because they can be broken, they can be slightly small. To me, chopping a smaller carrot or shaving off a bit of a knobbly bit isn't an issue but when you go to the likes of the bigger supermarkets and they're selling wonky carrots it's something I'd pick up normally anyway you can't see any difference between their regular brand of carrots and their wonky brand of carrots so for us I think we challenge that aesthetic a lot more but I think definitely supermarkets and consumers are becoming more aware of it but I still think there's more to be done. I agree with Beth. Like it's so funny how people judge what a what a fruit or veggie looks like on the outside and they think that there's something actually wrong with it. But where did this begin? Where did the aesthetic issue begin, do you reckon? And who decided what like a decent carrot or a decent potato looks like? I think that starts with advertising completely. You see the likes of the big supermarkets and we all know the slogans, this isn't just any carrot <laughs> and it's got <laughs> to look beautiful. And we, we see it in magazines. You look at, at models, it's the creme de la creme and all of a sudden we're seeing models that look like ourselves more. You're seeing women that you would see on the street in magazines. It's the same with veg and fruit. We're used to seeing those perfectly straight carrots, the reddish tomatoes, the most perfect looking apple. And all of a sudden, advertising are clocking on that actually a wonky apple or an apple that's slightly green and slightly red and not all one tone is still fine inside. So definitely advertising started all of that. I mean, you want to show off your finest produce, you really do. But what's on the inside is no different. And we've kind of been coerced into that way of thinking by the advertising agencies that perfect is what we've got to strive for and what's the best. But actually, looks with fruit and veg, it doesn't have any impact on taste. And that's what we really need to get around. I wonder if there's going to be a next evolution because, you know, um, if you look into history, just going on the beauty side of kind of the analogy there, and I love that, Holly, is, you know, a while ago it was all sort of very much like you see in the Renaissance kind of in art, you know, very large women and you see sort of, you know, large foreheads and you see like a transition to kind of, you know, beauty standards changing. I wonder if we'll, we, we are on the peak of seeing a transition in terms of vegetable beauty standards changing. I wonder if, you know, a, a second evolution that I comes around. We really are. I mean, veganism is such a big thing at the moment and that's really doing wonders for, for veg because, 
like I said, once it's stripped back and peeled, it's all the same. And I think vegans, vegetarians, and such a big push on veganuary and just swapping one day's worth of food to a vegan meal, I think that has such a big impact on it. We're definitely looking at the way we as consumers buy and what's produced, definitely. So has Brexit impacted the way in which the UK assesses vegetables? Because in Europe, um, at least, it was EU law that stipulated those strict aesthetic standards, I believe. And also, has EU regulation seen a change because of the push towards net zero? Because one of the, the biggest kind of contributors to emissions is actually food waste. Oh, 100%. Um, so we ourselves have struggled to source more veg um, with Brexit. So a lot of our rescue <laughs> is through supermarkets not accepting goods. So if, for example, a import has come from Spain and the temperature on that lorry has dropped by a degree, a supermarket can reject that whole lorry load of salad, for example, and claim on their insurance and get a fresh new batch. So then our supplier will call us and say, this supermarket has rejected all of this, like a lorry full of lettuce. Do you want it? And we'll be like, yes, <laughs> because that for us doesn't matter. And obviously supermarkets had to sit with a strict regime uh, because of the EU laws and everything. But with Brexit, they're seeing a lot higher import taxes. So our suppliers are finding it a lot harder to get stuff into the country. So the people that would deal with the supermarkets rejecting things aren't seeing it as often because we're relying more on UK grown produce, which is great. Don't get me wrong. It's absolutely fantastic that we're, it's almost like that wartime spirit where you're make doing and mending, everybody's fending for themselves. We're going back to homegrown like you saw in World War Two. It's great that the farmers are actually getting that support now and we're actually seeing their value. Um, but it's made it a lot harder because Britain doesn't have the weather for exotics. So yeah, it's great for cauliflower, broccoli, cabbage, potatoes, carrots, that lot. You, you could hold wholesome root veg. We can grow that here, no problem. The difficulty is that we don't have the exotic weather to grow the salad items throughout the year, the, the lovely fruits throughout the year. And obviously prices have gone up for everything in supermarkets. And that's because the consumers still want that product. But Brexit has made it a lot harder to get it into the country at a reasonable price. Um, so supermarkets have put prices up. They're more reluctant to waste product. So we're seeing a lot less supermarket rejections in the way of a temperature dropping or there's just too much. They don't need it because companies are paying more to get that product into the country. They are holding that product more so for themselves. I think they're seeing the financial impact not necessarily the wonky impact, but Brexit has made it really difficult to get hold of produce for big companies and companies like us. So, I mean, when it, when it comes to, you know, wonky veg, I imagine there's a degree of kind of, you know, natural instinct here whereby we reject vegetables that look a little different because we're nervous that they'll, that they'll poison us in some way. Do you, do you think that's true? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you saw the reddest apple you've ever seen, like snow white red, you are going to pick that one up compared to one that's not had as much sunlight. It's a bit green on one side. It's quite a dull red. You're going to go, well, actually, this one's going to taste better because it looks better. But they've both been picked from the same tree. <laughs> and it's getting past that in our head. Before we had TVs, so pre-50s, you, are, you aren't going to see these adverts. You'd go to the greengrocer and you'd pick up whatever the greengrocer's got. It's only as we've had our eyes open to the bigger, better things in the world that we've started to think about it more and be taken in by it more. And I think it's all about just educating people that if a potato's got a little bit of a chit on it, shave it off, cut it off. Cutting off a tiny bit of potato and using the rest of it, perfectly acceptable. You're creating less food waste doing that than throwing the whole potato away just because it's got a mark on it. And I think it's really getting that message across. It, even as a, a veg company celebrating wonky veg, we still have people say, oh, you know what, I wasn't too impressed with this bit. And we <laughs> we do have to like sit there and go, yes, they are buying a product, okay. And there is only two packers in our business. We are that family run. We've got two packers in the business. And we just have to say, you know what, like we've now got a separate box for that sort of stuff. So at the end of our packing table, we've got a box for the farm and a box of stuff that we can't really send to customers, but there's nothing wrong with it. 
and we use that and the staff use that so it's kind of even wonky customers there's a small few that need to really have their eyes open to you can make do and mend you can cut a little bit away but it's just such a bizarre thing isn't it because you just think it takes two seconds to shave something off but again it's the advertising agent industry really uh hammering that home isn't it that veg has got to be perfect otherwise it's going to kill us all (laughs) yeah that leads us like excellently onto our next question because you were saying how we we might be afraid that it's going to kill us all so how can we reassure consumers that veggies like this are safe for them and how do we differentiate between a bad piece of veg and a good one just just not basing it on the way it looks but just knowing that it's fine even if it is a bit wonky I think it's all about learning for yourself. I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. We can put yeah. it on the telly as much as we want that actually wonky is good. But until you try it for yourself, I don't think you'll really understand. Like, I even find myself questioning some of our produce. I'll be helping out with the packing side of things. And I'll go, you know what? I wouldn't put that orange in if I were you. And Stuart and our other packy Vicky, packer Vicky will say, no, it's fine. And I'm going, I don't know. So we'll stand there and we'll deliberate for a while and, well, whack a knife out and cut it open. And actually, it was fine. <laughs> and um, it's just, it's so bizarre, isn't it? Because you are conditioned to think that way because sometimes you get an orange with a little bit of um, like blemished skin. We don't, we don't even eat the skin. And I'm not convinced in my head that it's okay until I actually see inside the fruit. And I do find myself saying to customers, if they have received a bad piece of fruit, like, I'm really sorry. But veg and fruit comes in nature's own packaging <laughs> without being able to see inside it you won't know and I think it's about trusting your own instincts on things as well you know if it feels a bit funny cut into it have a look if it looks fine inside you know that's fine to eat if there's a slight bad bit cut it off and it's all about giving it a go yourself isn't it you can somebody can tell you that something's fine but until you see it for yourself you're never going to fully believe it and I think that's what we as a nation have really got to like step into like going back to home cooking not relying on ready meals and stuff that allows us to use our own expertise and our own knowledge and gain that from it doesn't it if you're preparing veg every day you're going to know more about it and know what's right to use and what's not right to use um I mean my father-in-law is quite questionable <laughs> he'll chop it <laughs> something I'm thinking Ian that's really not very safe but I, again it's all personal judgment isn't it I mean we would never put anything in a box that isn't edible like I said we've only got two packers and we go through everything by hand so wonky should be edible it should never be inedible anything that doesn't make the grade we like I said we have a farm box so we're really lucky that we've got two farmers who come and pick up whatever we've got at the end of the week that's not ready for charity who feed it to their animals or add it to their compost so whatever we've got that's wasteful is being put back through the system in one way or the other so that's that's really great that is so good I love the fact that nothing goes to waste which is which is awesome and I feel like you touched on this a bit but are there some levels of wonkiness that you just you simply won't sell if it's if it's I quote unquote too wonky due to maybe (laughs) (laughs) due to maybe safety considerations or anything like that yeah so obviously if something is rotting because it's been sat at the bottom of a box that is no that's nowhere near a box (laughs) Mm. we make sure that everything to our knowledge like I said things come in their own packaging that there's no obvious reason why something can't go in the box obviously our aim is never to make anybody ill so uh, we always say to our drivers if in doubt leave it out and it goes either in the farm box or the staff box for the end of the week and I think that's the important thing we we have to remember yes we're trying to reduce food waste but we're also a business and we're keeping people safe people are going to consume this so our packers are really aware of that and like I said there's only two of us we pack 20 boxes at a time so we really take our time looking at the veg that we're putting in and making sure it's a good enough standard if we're not happy with something that comes in we'll go back to our supplier and say yes we want wonky but this is actually not good enough and I I think it's realizing that that we are a business that sells to the public and the public at least need edible and safe not just rubbish that's been wasted through the system because it's not good enough we don't want stock feed we want wonky and that's the difference isn't it and it's not just vegetables that you supply is it holly i believe you do 
uh, breads and breads and eggs too. I see less of a push for this in the case of uh, I'm going to do Abby quote unquote wonky <laughs> items. Um, why is that? I think because we see eggs as a natural product, it just pops out of a chicken. It's not necessarily the the, the right way of thinking about it because. Actually, there's so many laws around selling eggs. We started looking into eggs as wanting to sell wonky eggs. But the law surrounding that is if you don't own the chickens, you can't sell the the wonky eggs, the eggs that don't fit into large, medium, class A, etc. So our eggs are class A eggs from free range hens. Um, but it would only be the farm that is allowed to sell wonky eggs. So, hold um, on, Holly. What what is a wonky? <laughs> what is a wonky egg? They really are wonky eggs. So they, I mean, my mother-in-law's got chickens, and I've seen the, a few wonky eggs <laughs> myself. <laughs> and <laughs> I was a bit perplexed, you know, the first time I saw one, because I was like, "Is, is this egg safe to eat?" And she was like, "Well, yeah, <laughs> it's the same as the egg next to it, but the the shell was slightly thinner. You can get eggs that are absolutely tiny, and equally, you can get mammoth eggs. You can get eggs." where the shell is slightly cracked on the outside but not the whole way through and you just think it's ridiculous so unless they're your chickens you can't sell the wonky eggs they're for personal consumption or sale through you only so unless wonky decided to invest in some (laughs) chickens we're stuck with uh free range the same with the bread though it's ridiculous that there's so much waste with Bread. I know the food waste, the waste from our bakery goes to a brewery so that it gets put back through the system. But I think because people just see it so neatly packaged, they don't think of bread as being a wasteful product. But actually, you think about the breakdown in what goes into a loaf of bread, and there is a fair bit. Again, bakeries can only sell their offcuts or misshapen loaves themselves. We're not allowed to buy them and sell them. So I think that in itself, like maybe we need to look at the laws around that in this country because that would eliminate a lot of food waste. You see companies doing the too good to go bags now that gets rid of the food waste at the end of the day. But what about the food waste during production? Is there any way we could combat that? I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting thought, Holly. I mean, I'm sure there was uh, there was reasons for these laws in the first place, but you know things change and you know, we are, we are in a climate crisis and we, we need to start thinking about the ways in which we do things. Um, Certainly with always safety in mind, but you know, just because you've done something in one way for such a long time, doesn't mean it's necessarily the right way. No, exactly. And I think we need to keep refreshing these laws and really having a look at it. I mean, we've left the EU, we're trying to stand on our own feet. And I think, why not make the most of what we've got? Why are we making it more difficult for ourselves? If it's safe to do so, the, the eggs are no different to a perfect egg that's popped out of another chicken. The, a misshapen loaf that's been chucked at the bottom of the oven is no different to a perfectly bloomed loaf at the top. It's all made with the same ingredients. It's been in the same oven. It's been made by the same person. What's wrong with putting that out? And I think we really need to look at that, especially if, like I said, we're wanting to stand on our own two feet. Yeah, I mean, wow. I feel like both Beth and I, I'm sure Beth, you'll agree that we've learned so much today from you, Holly. So thank you so much for joining us, for taking the time out of your busy schedule um, to join us. And yeah, I mean, great job with the company as well. I think it's such a great, such a great scheme. Like it's such a great idea. And yeah, there's just too much food waste. I think we can all agree no, thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what we want to hear. And I'm going to go investigate those carrots in my supermarket. <laughs> yeah, out for those not so wonky, wonky carrots. <laughs> Asking you, which carrot would you rather buy if you were in a supermarket? This kind of uh, chunky chopped one or this small one? Buy um, either. You buy either. Okay, great guys make of um, what Holly had to say there. Well, it was really interesting. I'll start by saying I thought you two did a brilliant job. Really, really great interview. Um, and I, 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 I thought it was really interesting what she, had to, what she had to say. It's quite, uh, how do I put this? It's not surprising, but it's still shocking. Like the whole, if a lorry 
goes down by one degree, then like they have to throw the whole lorry away. Like I'm absolutely not surprised by that, but it is still quite unsettling to hear. It's no surprise that we throw away so much food, is it, when there's sort of regulations like that in place. But I suppose from an industry perspective, we have to have strong food safety laws. So it's a difficult one, isn't it? The other thing I thought was, was crazy is people complain that their veg was too wonky, despite signing, despite signing up for a wonky <laughs> veg. Box. I mean, I don't want to, I don't like complaining. If I've been genuinely wronged by a company, I don't complain. I just sort of swallow it and get on with my life, let alone sign up to that very product and complain that the product you got is as described. Um, <laughs> So fair play to those people. They've got much more confidence than I do. I know. I mean, That's imagine true. that. I I thought it was really nice what they do, though, that they have a box for the farm, you know, for the, the veg that isn't suitable for human consumption, so they use it in a different way. And they also have a box unacceptable for wonky customers that the staff take home. I think it's really lovely. But I know. Like, imagine that. And Josh... The reason you can't complain is because you're British. <laughs> yes, I was going to say. I was literally going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Abby, what what takeaways did you have from that interview? I, I am stealing a quote from Josh. It was not surprising, but it was still shocking. And I think that kind of sums it up perfectly. Because yeah, I'm not surprised at all, to be honest. But that doesn't make it any less awful. But yeah, I love the fact that nothing goes to waste. Like it's mm. always used, whether it be like given to animals whether it be given to staff whether it be given like how whatever happens nothing goes to waste and I think that's so important Mm, and I liked the comparison she made to beauty standards yes yeah I thought that was really really interesting and just really uh, that's interesting isn't it that we're seeing such a our society is going I mean for all its issues it is becoming much more accepting much more accepting of you know like you know, no one's perfect in terms of you, you see sort of the, the beauty vloggers, gym kind of influencers kind of saying, you know, this is what a real a body looks like. And we're actually also seeing that echoed in the food sector. Really interesting. It's happening at the same time. Absolutely. I think it's I think it's, it's, it's a really interesting parallel to make. Certainly not something that I'd have thought of. So definitely challenge sort of my thinking on this by, by hearing that. Mm. The other thing that I thought was really, really interesting from Holly was, the point around advertising, I, I do think she's done yeah. something there because I would describe myself as pretty like open when it comes to wonky veg. I don't, but then when I thought about it during our intro, I thought, actually, like, am I? No, what do I pick up? If it was like a box of perfect carrots, I wouldn't go, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll pick up the slightly yeah. misshapen one. However, we've just started receiving meal kits from a uh, well known meal kit provider. I'll say no more this week. Um, <laughs> The carrots we were given by them in our box were, were wonky. I didn't go to the supermarket and get a perfect one. I just got on with it. So maybe if it wasn't, and we'll, we'll hear more about this later on in the episode, but maybe if we weren't presented with the whole sort of perfect, here's the perfect veg, oh, then here's the wonky stuff. If there was no choice to make, we probably wouldn't make the choice, if that makes sense. I don't know if I've explained myself there at all. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think we we said that in the interview as well. Like, who decided what was a perfect veg? Like, who decided that this was this was what we need to eat. This is what it needs to look like. But going back to advertising, it made me think as well. I think, I don't think I've ever really realized that when you do see adverts, all the food is absolutely shiny and gleaming and perfect. Like all the veg, all the fruit, they never really advertise anything that has a tiny blemish on it, even if it's perfectly edible and just as tasty. So definitely an interesting point. And maybe next time we watch these adverts we can like it will really be highlighted I feel like we'll definitely see the thing that Holly mentioned about everything Mm. being perfect all the time yeah come on come on supermarkets we call on you to create an advert with imperfect veg or fruit go Mm -hmm. on I dare you (laughs) (laughs) I double dare you (laughs) it's horses for courses isn't it like okay if you're a mission star restaurant sort of doing a, a, a presenting veg with their roast dinner perhaps needs some perfect carrots but if I'm just chucking veg into a bolognese and into a soup then if especially like a blended soup it doesn't matter what the carrot looks like does it it's gonna get chopped up and put in a soup so mm. um and that, to be fair that is what I use veg that's kind of looking <laughs> looking like you know it's it's about to go over the hill um I tend to use it for things like soups because it's actually better. It's like avocados look a bit dodgy. They're um they're actually really good for guacamole. And they get really um mushy. So mm. there are there things you, you can do. And bananas, banana bread. Come on. 
Yeah, exactly. Want, Everyone yeah. knows yeah. banana bread now. Yeah. It's yeah. part of our psyche. There you go. You get not only do you get top class industry analysis, you also get cooking tips on this podcast. But <laughs> well, I think it's time we heard from another one of our guests. We spoke to another representative of what I'm going to call the wonky veg sector, Phil Seneski, who is culinary manager at Farming Hope San Francisco. And we heard all about the excellent work he is doing out in the US. We are delighted to be joined by Phil Seneski, culinary manager at Farming Hope. Phil, how are you? Hi, how are you? Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're most welcome. You're most welcome. So, Josh, do you want to kick us off with this one? Absolutely. So, Phil, I know we're going to be focusing on quite a particular aspect of Farming Hope's mission today, um, namely the food recovery part of your organisation. But perhaps just to kick things off, you could start by giving our listeners an idea of what Farming Hope is and, and what it does in, in San Francisco and California. Absolutely. Yeah, Farming Hope, uh, we're a culinary job training nonprofit that uses recovered food to power apprentices experiencing major economic and social barriers to employment to cook food for themselves and their communities. And while at Farming Hope, our apprentices play a key part in making about 1,500 meals weekly for homeless and food insecure families. And then as our apprentices you know, tailor in to finish the program, um, we place them in jobs across the food industry in restaurants, quick service, food service arenas, food manufacturing, and then whatever area of the food industry they work in thereafter, uh, we empower them with the skills to use recovered produce in multiple forms as well as the idea of root-to-stem cooking that utilizes the whole part of a plant. And overall, we just have like a general ethos and, and mission that neither people nor food should ever go to waste. So, Phil, I, we want to talk today about wonky veg. I love that expression, wonky right. veg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, are consumers likely to accept cosmetically or you know, imperfect produce? I think I think initially, like consumers are a little skeptical why their produce doesn't look exactly the same, like each unit, like why are the carrots like look like they're hugging each other, why the red bell peppers <laughs> look like they're they can't stand on their own four feet, you know, which for some reason, you know, things have four feet, right? Um, but I think as consumers get to know more about where their food comes from and especially how to cook at a home, they come to realize that like each time they cook, their recipes are never exactly the same. So I think consumers are likely to accept cosmetically and aesthetically imperfect produce the more we can educate them on how to cook, but also how we can embrace variability. You know, like, oh, jalapenos are like a really good example. Like jalapenos are you know, almost almost never the same, like fresh off the vine. So like, hey, this time it's spicier. This time it's not as spicy. I can use more of them. And I think just how the more we can encourage consumers to have fun in the kitchen and, and really embrace variability, the, the better it is going to be for a win-win for the consumer as well as the overall food industry globally. Yeah, absolutely. That really leads really, really nicely onto my next question, um, Phil, because that being said, Beth, I'm sure you're going to own up here as well. I have been guilty time to time going to the supermarket. I see the wonky veg box. And I just swerve it, go and get the really nicely formed carrots because they look better. <laughs> Beth, I'm sure you're going to own up and back me here. So how do we encourage the purchasing of imperfect produce slash wonky veg? How do we get into the hearts and minds of consumers and say, yeah, do you know what? That potato doesn't look quite right. It's absolutely fine. Yeah, I think, yeah, like, like transition really perfectly into this question. But, you know, how do we make like the purchasing of imperfect produce like fun, even coveted, perhaps even sexy? You know, imperfect foods, for example, like they put eyes to like humanize like misshaped foods. And think of it this way. Like what if, you know, like you were told that 40 percent of the people in a room were too ugly to be there and they had to leave? You know, it's the, the idea of like. <laughs> Putting like food as humans and, and the, the, the humans that have like grown them and, and taken like a lot of time to, to cultivate these products literally from the ground up. Um, and, th and that's that's sort of one component to it. I think the next component and probably the like how are we going to make, you know, the purchasing of imperfect produce fun coveted is how, how, how can we continue to utilize and, and look into like what fine dining chefs globally are, are doing and how they're championing ways to highlight imperfect produce as a luxury premium product that can be the hero ingredients on, on a fine dining menu. And one, one, per, one restaurant in particular in Copenhagen, two, two in particular, first one I'll, I'll talk about is obviously Noma. You know, they've really had this explosion in, in fermented foods. They've switched from like a foraging restaurant to a fermentation-based restaurant. And fermentation is really one way 
to, to you know, pickling and, and jarring to, to preserve foods longer um, throughout a season. I think now we can really apply that to just throughout the whole year annually. Um, and fermentation doesn't have to be too complex. It can just be adding, you know, ideally 2% salt, you know, to most things. And it gets better over time, which is even better. So like your red bell pepper puree is going to have another layer of flavor, a little bit more umami, some, some, some additional uh, flavor progression, you know, um, aromas. And I think fine dining chefs can be a really key component in taking broccoli stems and blanching it and throwing it into a pasta that uses like a regenerative flour and imperfect tomatoes. And, and a lot of the imperfect ingredients too, um, if they're not like seared broccoli stems or blanched carrot tops to make a pesto or a chimichurri, a, a lot of these things are typically put into a puree anyway. Um, and that gives it like a really robust kill step and, and something that makes it like, regardless of what the shape looked like before, at the end of the day, it's still a carrot puree. Even if the carrots were hugging each other, it's still a red bell pepper puree if it only had like three and a half legs. So, mm. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's great to kind of hear that some of the, the chefs are sort of doing some work in, in this area. I mean, when we sort of think about the drive for, for wonky vegetables, do you think it's uh, a matter of education or, or regulation? You know, there are there are certain regulations which have in the past, and I think still do, influence retailers, for example. But also right. I think, you know, there's, there's, there's issues in terms of when you see uh, the reason we probably avoid that that dodgy looking carrot is because well, it's not dodgy, but it for us it looks dodgy. It's, right. it's an instinct. Yeah, and, and it's, it could be could be harder to clean. It could be harder to peel. But I think if you you know boil it and really treat it with respect and 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 know you know how the carrot got to your plate, how your the carrot got to even just the retailer. It, there, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of logistics like that go in there, and to just disregard a carrot for a carrot is 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 really tough for me to accept and, and I'm hoping consumers, you know, can can feel the same way. And at Farming Hope, that's something that we all really, really value is just the value of every single product that comes through, you know, our doors. And so there's t- sort of two sides to it. The first, I think, is, yeah, like you like you tapped on, Beth, and the consumer education is a key piece to building the demand, you know, for these imperfect foods. Without without the demand, we, we don't really have a supply. And that's where the regulation can really enable the, the selling, the um, distribution of imperfect foods from retailers legally required to donate excess product to sell to consumers or to donate to food banks and, and local nonprofits, as well as like how the regulatory can uh, chip away at making it, you know, food safe, making the distribution, you know, like, like uh, financially somewhat profitable at probably more at a break even point to start. But, you know, it takes, it takes investing from the regulatory and from public agencies to ultimately enable the consumer demand to be growing and, and enlarging and, and eroding away at, you know, like really chipping away at forming ways to use imperfect foods and imperfect vegetables. So it's, yeah. it's twofold essentially, but a little yeah. bit of both. And I, I've seen some good progress locally here in, in San Francisco and California, as well as globally in other, other countries. Absolutely. I think it is, it is just going to be about kind of not only just sort of getting over that whole thing of, you know, an apple has to be really red and really round or, you know, a, right. an, an aubergine has to, if it's a little bit funky looking, that's okay. But also there's going to be a, an element of upcycling because there, you yep. know, there will be, the, the, you know, and I think that's going to play a real, a real part in, in it because there will be kind of even wonky veg where I think probably we spoke to veg boxes as well where they sort of oh, said yeah. there's even wonky veg that, that even the wonky veg buyers don't want to buy. And so yeah. we, we use that yeah. in, a, in a different way. Yeah, and, that, and that's, that's true to some extent. Like there's some food products that are harder, you know, to be wonky, quote unquote. Like ginger gets like really dry and like really hard. So like, you know, initially... Uh, when consumers see like really hard ginger and their their mind goes like, well, I can only boil this and make tea. And that's great. Like, actually, that's a great first step. But what can you do like once you rehydrate, once you reconstitute the ginger? Like what kind of sauce can you make? Like what kind of stir fry can you make with, you know, perhaps even wonky vegetables like as well, too? Absolutely, Phil. And and seeing as, I mean, manuf- uh, retailers, manufacturers, um, consumers, they've all come in for some flack. So it's only fair that uh, 
supermarkets do as well from myself. Sure. Why don't retailers take more responsibility then when it comes to selling wonky veg? I suppose what I'm getting at is why are some places so good at it and others aren't? I mean, before we went on air, we spoke about France. I've been in many French supermarkets. That, that cultural attitude to buying imperfect veg and imperfect produce seems to just be part of life where it definitely isn't in the UK. Wouldn't like to say for the US, but I'd imagine it isn't either. Do you think that like, major retailers need to take more responsibility when it comes to selling hugging carrots, etc.? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the carrots love each other, so we should love them back. <laughs> but yeah, yeah you're, you're touching on some, some really good points and, and some points that, you know, in, in, in California, we're, we're seeing a little bit more progressive regulatory that hope, hopefully can trickle down to the rest of the United States and hopefully other countries in the future that model France and, and a lot of their um, sustainability ethos and also just their idea of how can more donation streams, how can more nonprofits and how can, you know, the birth of more food banks lead to the better redistribution of this wonky veg and, and retailers and, and manufacturers don't want to talk about, you know, how they are one sitting on like, at times, literal metric tons of, of waste. And also that that waste goes directly to landfill. It's not, you know, a, a good conversation to have it, it is very wasteful. And so there hasn't really been like, like equitable solutions that benefit every single stakeholder involved. But I think, you know, there's been some really good progress and there's been, you know, this explosion in upcycling and with the creation of the Upcycled Foods Association and other um, B2B platforms that utilize wonky veg in, in packaged products. Food retailers, I think, can, can one on one side, take more responsibility, but also supply more transparency to put the accountability on the consumer instead of the retailer. And then manufacturers can take more responsibility in partnering with other manufacturers. Um, close, closer to you guys, Toast Ale is a really good example. I mean, they're yes. one, of the, one of the gold standard models for how to take like end crust bread and make beer. And then, you know, what do you do with that spent grain? One of, one of the last companies I used to work at, we used to take spent grain and, and utilize it to, to make uh, packaged good products. But what can you do with that leftover spent grain? And um, is the best case scenario really compost or animal feed? I think manufacturers have a unique opportunity right now more than ever to think of the end of a supply chain as the beginning of a food revolution and, and as, as the start of a new age of farm that utilizes technology that regenerates ingredients that already exist in our supply chain. Absolutely. And despite being extremely sustainable, Toast is also a, a lovely drop as well. Of course, other sustainable beers are available. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, I, I suppose another question from myself, and I don't want to put you or, or the other retailers that we've spoken to out of a job, but do you think wonky veg categories should exist? Should it not just be, should the hugging carrots not just go with all the, all the single carrots? Like, why, why is there a need for a different category? I mean, in France and Spain, and French and Spanish listeners do correct me if I'm wrong, there isn't a separate box for wonky veg. It's just right. all lumped in, and you choose whatever you want. Yeah, I, and I, I actually, I, I agree with that. Um, I think that, you know, right now the, the first wave is to educate consumers um, and, and, and demand that retailers think a little bit differently about, you know, the imperfect wonky veg. And, and that's sort of been a hidden part of the industry. But like baby carrots, for example, started out being ugly carrots and they're reprocessed. And that same facility now juices carrots and they use their pulp to do something else. And really, really an opportunity to not only make business sense from a sustainability perspective, but business sense CNTS on, on how to save costs and how to save money and, and how to you know feed it into a way to, to better support farmers and, and better support you know, workers. So I think to start, it's, it's building demand, building awareness, later educating the consumer on you know, that there are wonky and imperfect you know, vegetables and imperfect fruits that are perfectly good to eat. The latter part of that is actually, you know, imperfect foods have 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 existed in our products for a long time. We just haven't marketed it as that because a lot of people think, okay, great. Well, this was imperfect produce. It would have gone to waste. Well, then we're not going to pay the same price as, you know, like the, the normal cost of it. And to some extent that could be true. And hopefully that's more and more true in the future, but there are a lot of logistics around it and the logistics, you know, just take up like company and business resources. So it's tends to be like about the same price upcycled ingredients. The cost is more of a premium because the technologies to develop it are a little newer. And as they're, 
operating more and more at economies of scale, they'll they'll be cost competitive with products that are probably probably the same in one to one, but have a sustainability ethos and an upcycled certification on it that better educates a consumer about why this should be a premium product. Um, so I think yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of synergy there, and there's a there's there's a need to sort of homogenize produce and 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 vegetables to be perfect and imperfect because ultimately it's all perfect produce i you know i i actually think that's really fascinating to find out about the price because i would have automatically assumed wonky vegetables to be cheaper but you're totally right phil why should they be because they're perfectly fine (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) totally and you know that's just a, a I suppose that's just naivety, really, and on my part. And but I think it—I think it's not a naivety that's shared by a lot of people. I'm also—I'm sorry—I got the giggles earlier when you started talking about just <laughs> started talking about single carrots and 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 hugging carrots, and then you started saying about baby carrots. And I was just imagining carrot family. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, it doesn't have to be perfect or imperfect. It's just you know a family of vegetables. So a family of vegetables, absolutely. Oh, I, I love it. So. In terms of regulation, going back to this, do you think that we're in need of a refresh? Because as I mentioned, um, certainly in the UK, EU, I know that there are kind of strict standards in which retailers must adhere to. So for example, you know, there are aesthetic standards. There's also certain kind of food safety kind of concerns as well. So for instance, when in transit, if you know the temperature kind of alters by a, a degree, they've got the the right to go, well, we don't want to use this this produce. We want a completely fresh batch. Do you think that we need a, a bit of a refresh, particularly in light of reaching net zero? Because, you know, food waste is a huge contributor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, a regulation refresh is, is needed, but I think regulation additions are, are what's, what's going to happen and what's needed even more. You know, like let's say a truckload of cucumbers, something like highly perishable and something that's typically refrigerated, you know, goes one or two degrees below um, spec. And so therefore a, a B2B food manufacturer can't necessarily use it. But where I think the, the the regulation and the policy implications of of regulatory agencies and regulatory enactments come into play is the cultivation of social entrepreneurs, the cultivation of food banks being able to have increased capacity, and and like us at, at Farming Hope, for us to have you know the the storage space to take on cucumbers to juice them to give to homeless families so that they're eating something fresh, something healthy. I think the the large manufacturers have a little bit more to lose in terms of you know potential food safety issues, and they have whole food safety departments to to be you know really uh, according to spec. And and the FDA over here in in the states sort of demands and, and regulates that. But I think the the entrepreneurs and and the the smaller manufacturers is really an opportunity to streamline something like you know a, a couple of pallets of cucumbers and have a, a robust kill step. That's really part of the key to it is like how to make a quinoa tabule, you know, where you're using quinoa, which, which that's another thing, like quinoa, like in, in some parts, like has to be like 80% certain color and 20% a certain color. So there's, there's, there starts to be, there's starting to be more of this idea of, of ugly quinoa and ugly grains. But what if, you know, like that was put into the restaurant, a menu in a restaurant and you had a really good conversation with, you know, one of the front of the house people or the chef came out and talked about, Hey, you know, we got all these cucumbers and, you know, we put this on the menu this weekend. We're actually going to run like a cucumber tasting menu where we're going to do a gazpacho. We're going to do a quinoa tabule and we're going to do an apple cucumber salad as well as like a cucumber sorbet, watermelon based dessert in the summertime. You know, so I think there's there's a regulation refresh that's starting to happen and people are starting to get really on board with it. That, that more importantly leads to the cultivation of innovation, innovative ways to repurpose wonky veg. And it really starts with, you know, having that chef-driven lens. Um, and, and ideally, the chef-driven lens can later be uh, coupled with food science principles that enable, you know, the, the, the safe handling of all material. Absolutely. I think, you know, there's, I think it's sad that we call it ugly you know veg. Right. This, this is why i like the term wonky 
because it's it just sounds a bit more it just sounds a bit more quirky but I think we need yeah it is catchy but I think we need to sort of go away from kind of thinking in in any in anything I think this is so true in just life like beauty is in the eye of the beholder right right yeah who who defines beautiful who defines perfect yeah it's 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 a hard conversation and that's actually sort of you know one of the things we talk about like at Farming Hope is like it's not just like food waste, but like also just the idea of like wasted resources, wasted people, wasted, mm-hmm. you know, all the, the effort that went into, you know, food getting on a plate or food getting redistributed after being re- reprepared. Absolutely. Because I mean, you know, we're in the, the food system is a little bit broken and that's it because is. of us. Yeah. You know, because there is perfectly good vegetables that are a little bit wonky. They look a little bit different, but they are perfectly fine by looking at these kind of ways in which we can start being a little bit less fussy in some areas of the world, not all areas, sure. and in some societies, you know, um, then hopefully we can actually start to, to fix it because there is arguably there's more than enough food in the world for everyone. Yeah, you know, we just need to better utilize the resources that already exist in our global supply chain and find creative ways to distribute it you know, locally, globally, you know, like we just touched on, like having the regulatory allow for certain uh, social entrepreneurs or certain nonprofits or certain food banks or even foundations being cultivated um, that can support a a business grant that enables like a really big production run of like, you know, like a, like imperfect juice that is high pressure pasteurized that can be donated to like certain communities in certain third world countries. I think there could be um, some natural synergy there. Wonderful. And Phil, the only point I wanted to kind of segue a little bit into is I think when we did the introduction to Farming Hope, and forgive me if you did say it, I feel like we need to sort of say, obviously I said about we want to focus today on um, cosmetically imperfect produce. I just wonder if we should add a little bit there about what you do with in terms of wonky veg. Yeah, um, so so we, get, uh, diff- we have different um, food producers uh, come by with uh, things that they can't sell anymore. Part of wonky veg also means that ingredients are, you know, quote unquote, about to expire. Um, although, you know, like the shiitake mushrooms that we got last week, like looked perfectly fine to me and they made a really good consomme for like a plant-based beef type broth. So we, we repurpose a lot of wonky veg. We we do meals for, for we do about 1500 community meals for homeless and food insecure families. And a lot of um, the produce that we get, not not all of it, but but a significant amount and, and increasingly more as we recover more local food streams. Um, we take, you know, bell peppers and, and make like fajita veggies. Uh, we we take um, cauliflower and use the whole cauliflower to make like a cauliflower rice dish. And that that's that's really what we're trying to do at Farming Hope is we're trying to get people to eat healthier and especially communities of lower SES, social economic status, to to educate them about, you know, the supply chain that we get so that they can cook at home as well as have a hot meal for them and their families. And and that's sort of the the impact that we do and and the impact we have with uh, using, you know, imperfect produce and educating consumers that had had no idea that, you know, the the broccoli was not going to be sold and you can use all the parts of the broccoli, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And and Phil, I just want to say I think what Farming Hope is doing is is fantastic. So, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Let me know when you're in San Francisco. You can come by anytime for lunch and we'll we'll have a, a an imperfect bowl. That sounds wonderful on the bay. Beth and let's get ourselves out there. Absolutely. It sounds great See you to soon. me. See oh you we'll soon. Phil. <laughs> I, you know, thanks so much for your time today. Some really interesting kind of contributions there and just, you know, just so insightful. So thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Really, really appreciated. So uh, guys, in front of you, um, can you describe what I'm, I'm holding? Um, right, so we've got a, big, a nice girthy one, girthy one. <laughs> and, a, and a long one. And a long one. Oh, great! It's um, a vegetable. It's a carrot. Yeah. It's just a... <laughs> long. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is one is long, and the other one is missing half. Looks like. Okay. See, this one looks like it's been chopped off. So yeah. yeah. I don't know. That, this one is good if you're making like roasts. Yeah. So the chunky one's good for rice. But that's like for soup. Yeah. If you wanted to go for like, like small, yeah. <laughs> okay, can you describe which one you're pointing to? The 
the thicker, straighter one. The thicker, straighter one. Okay, um, why is that? Don't know. It looks yeah, better. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because you're gonna get more carrot than that. Why would you buy that one over that one? It just look more uh, complete. Okay. Like so, what carrot. puts you off the small chunky one? Uh, first of all, as a mom, this is hard to cook. Right. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just easier to cook and just it look more clean. Um, just to wait, to wait, not not the actual. Um, condition of it because it looks it look fine, look fresh, it's fine. So the one that's uh, slightly um, stumpier, shall we say, yeah. um, uh, compared to the longer carrots, um, arguably more traditional carrot shapes, yeah. which would you pick up in a supermarket? I go f actually for the broken ones. And does it put you off at all that it's been kind of looks a little bit no, more no. chopped? No. So if you're in a supermarket and you saw a veg that was maybe disformed or a little bit wonky, would you would you buy it or would you choose no. better veg? I have better. In fact, if you shop in Morrison's, they do that wonky veg yeah. and it's slightly cheaper. I always buy that. Just bought um, a nobbly fruit in um, Morrison's. Yeah, it's fine. It's cheaper. Because I know a lot of people leave it and if you know, it will be waste. So I, if I'm going to use it, normally I buy the veg I'm going to use in the day or next day. So I don't mind to buy the wonky one. But if something's got a, you know, a bit of like blemish or a knobbly bit, does that ever put you off? If I'm not going to use it on the same day, I will not buy it. But if I'm going to use it the same day, I, if it's not a lot, I can cut it off. And I normally try to save whatever I can. So... <laughs>
Oh, well, it wouldn't be a new food podcast if you weren't. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> right. Abby, what, what were you going to say? I have now changed my mind because of Josh. He's actually converted. So I was simply going to say, bold claim, yes. I think I, I, I would just have said yes, full stop. However, now that Josh has said that, yes, it is ingrained in our psyche. And I think it is in a way, because when you actually think about it, and like what Holly said about the models that you see and the people that you see, even though things are changing now, we still refer, like it's still, there is still a difference. Like they're still, um, for example, called plus size models, for example, they're not just models. Like that's not, that's, that it's such a weird thing, but that's still how we reference it, which is really strange. But I think it's the same with vegetables and fruit and stuff. I think there will always be like a label attached to it because it's just so ingrained. So I take back my yes now. The pessimist has converted me as well. <laughs> <laughs> I I think we might see a transition, but it won't be for some time. But yeah, I mean, the the label will probably always exist, but I think maybe we'll become more accepting in the future not everyone because um it's very difficult to change something that is so deeply embedded but I do think we will see start to see a a transformation and I hope in a way that we don't need these these wonky companies but I don't know I mean um again I I think it was one of the the interviews said that you know we need a, a I think it was Phil that said it we need a regulation refresh and I think he's so right, because right now there's not a lot that retailers can do, because if something does, you know, it's being transported and it, the temperature goes, you know, uh, like a degree higher, then that stuff can't be legally sold. I don't know who needs to drive on that, whether it needs to be the retailers that go, well, actually, this isn't right. It's, just, it's I find it very, very strange that retailers have these such these fierce regulations but the wonky companies can do kind of get around them and I don't really know why then we need the regulations to be that stringent in the first place if it's perfectly safe I'll imagine there'll be some sort of a most I don't know this is just speculation but most of the sort of the the wonky companies we're calling them operate online so I'd imagine there'll be some sort of terms and conditions that you have to agree to that will say well actually this veg might not adhere to this regulation this regulation whereas it's difficult isn't it i think we've mentioned this before with sell-by dates i've always questioned why you can't give sandwiches that have gone out of date that day to people that need the most and a lot of the time it's because it's so difficult legislatively to get approval because if you give someone a sandwich no matter how in need they are that's out of date and they're sick you're still liable. Even if you're doing somebody a favour, you're still liable. Sometimes it's mm. difficult for retailers to do the right thing. Um, so as Phil says, maybe a refresh, but it's difficult, isn't it? How many times do we say that the food industry needs to be safer and this needs to exist? Yeah, don't we know a way around that? I know. Because, yeah, because if something bad happens, then who's it, You know, whose head does it fall on? It's so difficult. Okay, I think to sort of conclude this podcast, let's let's comment on on the public. Were you surprised by the pretty unanimous decision there that, yeah, wonky is good? <laughs> I mean, we said, you know, we don't eat wonky, um, but a lot of the people we interviewed, they they seemed pretty fine with wonky, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I was, I don't know what I would have said. I'm trying to, if, if, if I wasn't on this podcast, if I wasn't like, working at new food like I'm kind of taking my head out of like how much I know and kind of taking a step back to maybe when I didn't know as much about you know if wonky veg was safe all of that stuff all about upcycling (laughs) all of that stuff um then I might have said no I would have so in 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 terms of that I am kind of surprised that there were a lot of people that said yes Oh, I'm I'm loving the cuckoo club. Sorry, I've been living in the Black Forest. <laughs> the Mad Hatter's coming round next week. <laughs> I was wondering. I was trying to like talk over it, hoping that you. <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> At least everyone knows what time we're recording this. So, <laughs> quickly, Josh, before we sum up, thoughts. Right, I was surprised, but now I've thought about it. 
I'm going to be cynical again. So I think it's great that everyone <laughs> wants to eat wonky veg. However, what I will say is, if you're approached in the street asking if you eat wonky veg, I'm 100% saying yes. Like, I'm not going to stand there and say, no, 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 I'm not eating wonky veg. It's a bit like going to the doctor and they ask, do you go to the gym, do you exercise? Everyone says, yeah, I exercise three <laughs> times a week. No one says, no, 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 I sat like, watching telly all week last week. No one says that. Maybe that's being cynical. <laughs> However, yes, I was pleasantly surprised. And most people, particularly the gentleman that said, well, it's more weight. Like, that's a great oh. attitude, isn't it? Like, well, no, that carrot's bigger, so I don't care what it looks like. I'm getting more bang for my buck. And I was like, yeah, that's what a brilliant attitude. Um, so, yeah, good people of, uh, of, of, of London did previous wrong. So I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I was too. What we need to do now is, like, enlist the help of the supermarkets and get, like, a fly-on-the-wall cam <laughs> and see yeah. how true it is. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, th- I think this is a, was a really great experiment. I'm... I was pleasantly surprised, as you said, Josh, as well. Um, and I think that listening to Holly and to Phil and also other members of the public doing the right thing, I am certainly going to, next time I go into the supermarket, go and grab that ugly carrot. Absolutely. I think if we can get around the regulation, I think people are up for it. We just need to get around the problems and the hurdles that we've mentioned. Because I think if, if it's there, people will buy it. Absolutely. Mm. Well, we really hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest episode of Food to Go. There is plenty more to come, so keep an eye out. We'll be giving you a history lesson uh, in our next episode, focusing on the history of hemp. Um, Josh gets very excited because he uh, absolutely loves history. (laughs) So well worth keeping your eyes or your ears, I should say, um, peeled for that one. Can you keep your ears peeled? I don't know. No, I'm going to say you can now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we will uh, catch you shortly. It's the curse of the um, the ending. I, I really need to clear my throat. <laughs> <laughs> but we will um, catch you soon, uh, dedicated listeners. Stay tuned for more. Visit the website for news. Uh, we've got Food Integrity um, coming up very soon, so make sure you check that out. Um, and uh, And have a lovely rest of your day. <laughs>